You're about to meet James Hamlin, MD, who is the author of Clean, the New Science of Skin. He grew up seemingly normal in Indiana, did his undergrad at Wake Forest, came back, went home to school at Indiana University, or as we used to call it, Uipui, the largest medical school in the country, graduated, became a doctor, got licensed, and then quit to become a journalist in New York. By the way, that's not the weird part, but we'll get there. All right, so Dr. Hamlin, welcome. I believe there's a term for that career decision in the dsm four. I'm not sure what it would be, but congratulations on following your heart. Now, exactly why did you do that? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I'm still trying to understand it myself. Uh, you know, I, I was practicing radiology. I was sitting in a dark room reading CT scans and x-rays, and... Um, uh, I just felt like there was more that needed to be changed about the healthcare system and more that uh, could be done, you know, through through public health measures and through through public education. And uh, so I took a little break from radiology and I, I never came back. It's interesting. I know you have a great sense of humor because I've laughed out loud at some of your YouTube videos. And in radiology, of course, not only the dark room, but then you're the one writing the reports. I'm sure more than once you wanted to put a few phrases in there that didn't make the cut. <laughs> yeah, humor is not well received in <laughs> on that medium. <laughs> yeah. And since you've been in New York, you've not only achieved your goal, of course, writing for The Atlantic, and I was looking at some of those articles as well, but uh, also you become board certified in public health, general preventative medicine, and so you've gone back to the role of a doctor. Do you actually, do you actually practice on people these days? Yeah, you know, um, I, 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 don't, I don't cut people open, and, and I don't uh, prescribe pills, but I do work to try to influence our, uh, our environments and to keep people educated uh, and abreast of, of the latest, latest facts and make sure people are able to make smart decisions and, and have the, uh, the ability to do that. So it's, it's sort of public health practice is what we call it. It's a little non-traditional, but uh, I think it's important. Well, Clean is a captivating book. I, I did. I read it to, cover to cover. It's the history of the soap industry and so much more. And, you know, interesting, I was looking for something that I, I didn't see in it, and I don't know if you ran across this fact, because you probably never had to deal too much with marketing. But I remember in my first marketing class, they explained that research really started as dumpster diving at the turn of the last century, 1900s, when they found out that people who were asked about what soap they use would always pick, you know, the big glamorous brands and the the stuff that was prestige. And yet the stuff flying off the shelves was the, the low cost stuff. And so the first research project was to go dumpster diving for soap labels. Yeah, you'll have to look for that sometime. But you've got so many other things in this book that are just just jewels. But you you got me on the first sentence. Five years ago, I stopped showering. And then later, (laughs) yeah, you know, that's uh, certainly a conversation stopper dead right there. And later you interviewed somebody who also admitted they stopped showering. But they they added with a P.S. real quickly, but I still bathe. So let's talk a little about this stop showering. What did you do this for? Um, you know, there were a lot of reasons and I get into that, uh, in the book. Part of it was experimental. Part of it was I'd already started to go pretty minimalist already. And I'd noticed that there was a trend of a lot of people trying to cut back on product use, whether, whether it's for, uh, saving time, saving money, preserving water, preventing plastic bottles, trying to avoid exposures to preservatives, uh, all kinds of reasons, or just people think it makes their skin or, or hair look 
uh, and feel better. Um, and, and at the same time, there was this kind of uh, plume of research coming from medical journals about the, the skin microbiome, which kind of which really fascinated me because I I had been hearing a lot at the time uh, about the gut microbiome. Uh, you know, um, as I think most people have have by now that we we have trillions of microbes in our guts. We have more microbes in us and on us than we have human cells, more microbial cells than human cells. So uh, it kind of really shifted our understanding of our relationship to the microbial world. And and it got people to sort of back off of the dire uh, impulse to use antibiotics uh, for anything and to uh, even embrace sometimes probiotics, like ingesting bacteria, which would have seemed pretty... um, Absurd to most people, you know, 10 years before. And so then I saw a sort of parallel thing happening with the skin where we were using DNA sequencing technology to see that there was there, there are microbes all over us all the time, that we are never free of them. And that most of them are harmless um, and, and conceivably, uh, actually, presumably actually doing something for us because we all have them. So mm. they're, they're, they're not there just doing absolutely nothing. And so I, I was wondering, you know, what is it? What is really um, is it really a health benefit to doing kind of aggressive washing in an attempt to get those microbes off? And if that's not the purpose of what we consider cleanliness, um, exactly what is? It's fascinating because you mentioned probiotics and all this, and everybody's aware that their their flora needs to be balanced and maintained, and you take antibiotics, you throw it off, and you want these probiotics to get it back there, and I think there's uh, just universal recognition of that at this point. Yet, the idea that our skin, which as you well know is an organ, but it's one of the best trivia questions when you ask what's the <laughs> largest organ, because of course nobody thinks of their skin, but it is an organ, and it does have a purpose, as you well know. And so you've got uh, certainly an ecosystem on your skin as well, but instead of wanting to prop it up, we're basically washing it off with every shower. So I get that. I get that. But you said you shot, you stopped shampooing and stopped conditioning. And of course, you're, you're a good looking young guy with close cropped hair. I could see that you could get away with that. But you know, you take a middle aged woman who's who's bleached to, to high heaven. Uh, you don't use conditioner. You're in deep trouble. Uh, <laughs> I mean, deep, deep trouble. And so with that in mind, uh, what's the workaround when, if anybody decides they're going to follow suit and they need to read the whole book to know why they might want to do some of this, but uh, if they decide to follow suit, that pesky hair issue is the one I can't get around. What do I do? Yeah, you know, um, it turns out these are really personalized, individualized routines and rituals, and uh, I'm, I'm, I, I want to be very careful to say I'm not suggesting, I'm not telling anyone to do uh, what I did or even suggesting that they, that they should. Um, there are all kinds of social and cultural circumstances that sort of put pressures on us to do things um, and make it, make it impossible for uh, some people to do otherwise. And then other people just, you know, really genuinely enjoy uh, e- either the routine of the, the ritual in, in the shower, in the bathroom every morning or evening, um, or enjoy the, you know, the appearance of, of hair that looks a certain way um, or skin that looks or, or feels a certain way. And and I think that's great. And I don't think anyone should stop something if they're really enjoying it or it's really important to them. I only mean to suggest uh, that there are also a lot of people who are doing these things kind of mindlessly or because they feel like they're 
vaguely associated with health or they're necessary to do, but haven't really interrogated them, that necessity, in the way that I hadn't. I hadn't really thought about all this until I, uh, until I went through the process of researching this book and doing this uh, sort of investigation and experimentation. And, and I only mean to suggest that um, many people could do, could do less if they want to, and that there's an opportunity to kind of cut back on a lot of what we've been told is, is necessary. But if you have uh, if you've bleached your hair, uh, it may be necessary to use some kind of conditioner. There might yeah. not be a way around that. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I'm thinking. But uh, it's interesting because I guess I instinctively was aware of the downfall of putting things on your skin because, after all, transdermal and you know medicine works. I mean, it gets into your system. So I think to myself, well, then why would I want to put deodorant with aluminum in it on my underarms? I mean, that that never even occurred to me that I'd want to do it. But you read the list of what's in this stuff, and all I can figure is most people don't think that if it's on their skin, it's in their body. Yeah. All you have to think about is, uh, you know, a nicotine patch and realize that right. stuff uh, get, goes right into you. And uh, I don't mean to scare people. You know, I think there's very little effect of any given single product, you know, that we might be using briefly once a day. Um, but I think the net effect of things that we're doing for our entire lives um, is not going to be zero. And that's and and it's reason enough to think that if you're really not enjoying something or it's not clearly making you look or feel better, um, you know, it, it's reasonable to, to to cut back. Yeah, and when when you say you know use some of these occasionally, we I won't mention the name of the product, but there was a shampoo where people's hair was falling out that you detailed, and that is still on the shelves. And so- so, uh, you know, it, it seems like there there's no, uh, I guess, mandate that these companies report to the public some of the, say, adverse reactions. Yeah, it's really interesting. The space that's been created for uh, skincare and beauty products is somewhere, it, it, it's less regulated than, uh, you know, foods or pharmaceuticals. Um, and for and in some ways that's great because it allows young new entrepreneurs to come in and disrupt the space that was dominated by Unilever and Procter and Gamble and um, really create new uh, artistic trends and uh, change things up. But it also means the barriers to entry being low are, are good for innovation, but they're also uh, not great for guaranteeing safety. And uh, the agencies that oversee these things are kind of. <laughs> not well-staffed and not highly funded. And, you know, it's rare that there are real serious issues with single products, but, but sometimes we do see, uh, you know, isolated ingredients like, um, like triclosan in, in soaps. Yeah. Um, and that, that sort of end up being coming, and, and parabens, uh, preservatives, yeah. that are in a lot of different products that end up making their way into our our streams and our, our, our water system and our soil and our bodies <laughs> because we've just flooded the system with them and we don't realize that for years or decades and that takes a uh, major uh, you know legislative action to try to get them out <laughs> right yeah so yeah it's not it's not it's not an ideal system but i'm not sure what would be well, that, yeah, that is that is the problem. But yeah, the hexachlorophene, I remember that was in Life Boy, and <laughs> and I thought it was interesting in the in the book that you were not even aware that Life Boy existed as a product. Well, I wasn't aware it was gone. So, 
Apparently it's big in India, but no, yeah, that was uh, that predated me. I, I am amazed at how quickly you read this book, honestly. Uh, you must be a lightning-fast reader, because it, it just came out on Tuesday. No, I, I read the whole thing. Of course, I was up, I was up till six in the morning, and then then uh, Jasmine, best producer in the world, got me uh, got me uh, if our bodies could talk, and I had to read that. So that's all I've been doing today. <laughs> wow! And well, uh, thank you so much. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I, I'm honored uh, that you read it all. Well, um, I loved it actually. I, I did, especially the history of it. And there, there's a there's a lot of history in this book, and I can say hands down that uh, that this is worth the read. Uh, and I agree. You know, you're not you're not there saying stop showering or do this. In fact, you're not in any case saying do anything. But you're uh, you're pointing out not only great material but stuff that's that's truly entertaining. Clean the new science of skin is the book. I'm talking with Dr. James Hamblin, M.D. And hey, want to ask the doctor a question? Have we we got a phone line for you, 888-876-5593. That's 8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E on WGN Radio. James Hamlin, MD, has written Clean, the New Science of Skin. It's available at Amazon.com right now, by the way. And I, uh, I offered your services to uh, anybody listening, and Mike in Crete, Illinois, is taking us up on it. So, hello, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So what? I had a question. Um, a, a couple years ago, I heard something on the radio about somebody, a nurse. She was saying she had heard from somebody knowing that uh, if we keep up putting sanitizer on our hands, we're absorbing that. And that more or less we kill ourselves off as a species over a period of a hundred years. I'm wondering if the doctor could comment on that. What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, sort of rumor going around right now about hand sanitizer, uh, which 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 is almost entirely alcohol. So I think if we have a problem with putting on our, on our hands, we also uh, definitely have a problem with uh, with our social habits and uh, how we're drinking it. Um, I think putting it on our hands is definitely going. Uh, if it has any 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 effect, uh, it's going to be far far less. Than uh, less negative than than letting uh, a virus spread uh, that's that's killing uh, well, hundreds of thousands of people. So, so you're so I think yeah but yeah you're telling me wait a minute you're telling me that it's just alcohol that when they say it's antimicrobial that all it is is alcohol that they're not putting antibiotics in the soap. That's the active ingredient, and the alcohol just sort of dissolves the viruses and bacteria. Yeah. So it's alcohol, like rubbing alcohol, like isopropyl with some nice uh, carrier. I know. Uh, I don't know the exact chemistry, but I know you can make your own uh, pretty effectively. Yeah, it just, wow. it's not a it's not an, a specific antibiotic. It's an alcohol that just sort of uh, sanitizes everything. Well, yeah. It's interesting, Mike. I'll tell you. I had a, a guy who was a sponsor years ago, Calben Soap, and they used to supply soap to all the hospitals in California. And then the hospitals switched to sanitizer, and he swore that hospital-borne infection rates went up when you stop using pure soap. Is that true? Wow. So what do you, what well, do you think, yeah, Dr. I, 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 uh, I don't know anything about that. I mean, you know, these things act in very different ways. So hand sanitizer just sort of dissolves any microbes that are on your skin. Uh, and... It sort of clear cuts the forest of, of the microbes uh, there, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't remove any grease or grime. Uh, whereas soap is designed to help us remove the oils from our, from our bodies, so you know, it makes us feel less greasy. If you have, 
you know, something sticky, if you've gotten oil on your hand or grease, uh, you know, you, uh, on your skin, you can wash it off really well with soap. It helps really well with that. And then it takes off any microbes that are in that layer of oil in the process. But it, soap itself does not kill microbes. It's an, not an antimicrobial. It just sort of... Uh, swoops them up when it's removing the oils from the skin and, and helps them walk. Can I say one other thing? I'm sorry. Yeah, go right ahead. Sure. Um, uh, like I say, I, I, this was like a couple years ago that I heard it, so it was pre, you know, COVID yeah. and everything, and it was pre, you know, a lot of people being uh, leery of it. Um, mm-hmm. But the impression I got was that we are meant to absorb through our hands and that we are absorbing some of the ingredients through our hands that will maybe at some point make us not able to absorb through our hands. That's the way I understood it at the time. Yeah, you know, it's an, it's an interesting theory. We absorb through our skin all over our body. Uh, and, and what you're absorbing really is a, an alcohol that's, that's close to the alcohol of the sort that, uh, that we drink, but in a very tiny quantity. So, you know, it's safe okay. to use. And um, it's not something that I worry about people people absorbing. As a doctor, I had to work, you know, we had ordinances in the hospital. You had to use hand sanitizer coming in and out of every single patient room. So I was using it four or 500 times a day. And uh, the worst worst effect was that uh, dried my hands out. All right, Mike, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Right. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, Have a good night. It's uh, it's interesting because until you said it was alcohol, I thought the biggest problem would be if we're putting antibiotics all over us that we're going to create uh, you know sensitive well lack of sensitivity when we need it most. But if it's just basically rubbing alcohol, uh, I uh, I assume well you're still with us, and of course you're young, could be, <laughs> but <laughs> there there's time yet. But uh, we're talking to Dr. James Hamlin, M.D., and you can join us eight 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 seven six five five nine three. You know, I mentioned marketing before, and it turns out that Dr. Hamlin was a marketer. Now, maybe you're not aware of Brunson and Sterling, but you will be. I'm Raleigh James, and it's WGN Radio. You are welcome to join us and give us a call at 888-876-5593. But the deal is that in If Our Bodies Could Talk, Dr. Hamlin says... The same goes for elixirs and tonics, but if you see a potion, take a chance. So I, I, I love it. Uh, have you run across any potions? Fortunately, nothing good. Yes, had some bad run-ins though. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, Diane in Chicago. Welcome to WGN Radio. Hi, Dolly. Um, this has been my hobby for a long time. I mean, you know, nutrition and things like that. But in my own personal life. In the 60s, um, my sisters and I, we would use Maybelline and this and that makeup. Um, I, I haven't had a job where I need to put makeup on for a long time. I've had jobs where, it's, and also, I guess, laziness. But also, I'm a health-oriented person, you know, about my own body and all that. So I stopped using any uh, foundation or makeup or anything. But, you know, you, uh, you can wash your face, and, you know, you, you shouldn't clog the pores. And also, hair dye is not good for people. There has been, there was research on um, cancer with the hair follicle, with hair dye. There was like one out of, um, four out of nine or something of, of people who, of women who were more susceptible in some sort of research um, on the internet. Um, and yes, cleanliness is important because your skin needs to breathe. But there was a woman in New York, in New York Times, there was an article of these People that um, they were doing not bathing, 
And they said um, they were going through a thing where they didn't bathe at all. It was an experiment. And they said that they were none the worse for wear type of thing. I mean, it was an interesting, but it was New York Times. Well, and it was um, interesting. It's actually. And also uh, here. I was going to say it's, it's actually in Dr. Hamlin's book. So if you're if oh, you like oh. that article, you'll want to read this because uh, he absolutely uh, met this. But you can see his YouTube video on that as well. He checked out her shower. Okay, I was going to say too about back in the 1900s. What did women do? They brushed their hair. They didn't wash it every day. Washing the hair every day isn't necessary. But you need to bring the oils to the end. And, you know, the, the boar bristle brushes seem to be coming back. So you need that bristle that is strong. You, all these tender little brushes that women use when they go to the beauty parlor, parlor, they've gotten used to this kind of what would be termed, I guess, pampering. But on the other hand, it's not good for your health. Oh, but yeah. also, it's regular. Anyway. Here's, my, here's, my, here's my question. Are you standing in the middle of the street? <laughs> No, no, I'm at a bus stop. I'm, oh, I'm, I okay. have, um, I'm a person who doesn't use a computer or anything. I don't have a computer and I don't have a smartphone. I think that's another health thing. All you know, right. using that too much your ear and everything. I have a whole thing on that that I, I'm sort of a Luddite. Oh, um, no, also, it's fine. about money and not being prosperous. But when you're poor, you're closer. You know, I live a hum- work a humble job. I've always been a hard worker. I'm also Christian. I live one day at a time. But you know what? Um, I look younger than I am. And my skin... I, you know, the laziness, I, I've been complimented on my skin. Um, you don't need to put, especially under the eyes, you know, these creams that they say put under your eyes, you can't do, you should never on that tender part of your eyes, you know? All right, Diane. The cleanliness. All right, thank you. Thanks for calling. Call back. All right. Thank you. Yeah. I can't imagine where she is, but that bus stop sounds like it's in the middle of Michigan Avenue. And so we are talking to James Hamlin, MD, and you covered uh, much of what uh, what Diane said in your books. But I, I want to, for a minute, talk about if our bodies could talk, uh, because of course mosquito bites. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely a magnet, as are many people. And then I find out, oh my God, it's because of Staphylococcus all over my skin. This was this was disheartening. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, that's one of the theories. It's, it's kind of this enduring mystery of why do some people seem to be uh, sitting in the, at, at the backyard party or around the campfire and they're, they're getting, getting eaten, eaten alive and other people seem to be barely bothered. Um, and it, it actually seems to be uh, one of the working theories right now is that we, we're constantly giving off chemicals uh, that we're not detecting. It's not just like we uh, have body odor or we don't. You know, right. we have all these things that um, we've kind of lost the uh, ability to detect or just not used to detecting, but that they're produced as a combination of the oils that are being secreted by our skin and then the, the microbes that are on our skin. And those are going to vary from person to person and create interesting combinations of of chemicals that we waft into the air and that may or may not attract mosquitoes to certain degrees. So it's unlikely that it's any, you know, a single, single species could be uh, blamed or a single strain of bacteria, but there are interesting correlations popping up and people doing some really cool research trying to um, think, well, maybe, you know, if instead of covering ourselves in, in DEET or other mm-hmm. toxic things we could maybe just uh shift that microbial population a little bit and change our chemistry and uh just uh, <laughs> kind of become suddenly very unattractive to mosquitoes 
That would be wonderful. I mean, we hear about pheromones attracting uh, people that maybe we want or don't. We hear about dog scans, very unlike cat scans. The dog actually smells the cancer and all this. But when I when I heard about this overgrowth of staff, if you will, all I could think about is whenever there's some medical disaster, of course, the news media is all over it like whites on rice. And you'll every now and then hear those flesh-eating bacteria stories where someone's it was just a paper cut. Next thing I knew, it was necrotic fasciitis mm. and of course after that every time you get a paper cut you say oh my god what should i do for this and but the reality is that there's got to be something in the immune system that goes awry in very few people what is it yeah you know those sorts of flesh-eating bacteria stories are uh obviously compelling because they're terrifying mm-hmm. and they're graphic mm. um and and they do give skin bacteria a bad name uh but you know that's sort of the classic picture of, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, we have more bacterial cells uh, in and on our bodies than we have human cells. And we live with them and we need them. And if we got rid of them, if we overuse antibiotics to try to, you know, treat different infections, people then become at risk of uh, life-threatening overgrowth, overgrowth in, in the bowels, like C. difficile. Right. So um, it, it's a matter of and when, the, when those life-sustaining bacteria in our guts and on our skin get into our blood, we die very quickly. We become septic and we die unless we're treated in an ICU. Um, so it's a matter of something being essential to our life and functioning when it's in one place. And then you put it in a slightly different place in our bodies and all of a sudden uh, we die. We die. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that is just that you know that's an enduring theme in the book and something that we i think we need to do a better job embracing it's just that these things are not good or bad it's all about context it's all about uh quantity it's all about you know achieving this sort of balance and having things in in the right place at the right time and of course the elephant in the room i've got a doctor on the phone is going to be COVID 19 so you know we're going to talk about that i am talking with Dr. James Hamlin, you can get skin. And also, if our bodies could talk and everything else, if you'll just go to Amazon.com and we will find out more about the dreaded COVID-19, which actually is pretty dreaded. I'm Raleigh James. It is WGN Radio. Clean the new signs of skin, James Hamlin, MD. And of course, I'll, I'll put him on the spot. And so get your crystal ball ready. And let me ask you, when will this pandemic be over? Mm, great question. I, I would like to say that your knowledge... Uh, of uh, musical charts from uh, the 1960s is is amazing. I mean, really, really That's impressive. So nice of you. Uh, um, I, and I wish that I could tell us, um, you know, but it's not going to end on a particular day. Unfortunately, it's going to fade out. Um, it's going to be something that is going to linger over us, and it's going to continue to change the way we live and the way we need to behave. Um, for a long, long time because it will be simmering and percolating and not entirely gone. And you will still see isolated outbreaks even after uh, it's generally, uh, we feel generally safe. We will still see uh, nursing homes getting hit hard or an outbreak in in a hospital that will really keep us on our toes. So the point where we feel, you know, we can completely... Uh, completely forget about it 
I think is very far off. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And viruses are tough, obviously. You know, I always say, yeah, we could make an antiviral. Of course, we'd kill the host if it's that wide spectrum, but, you know, it could be done. Mm-hmm. But everybody uh, wants, uh, when I say everybody, all the labs want to come up with, with that, of course. And what is most frustrating to me is that the information we're getting is not clear-cut, like you mentioned, nursing homes. Well, a lot of cases, these are people maybe in their 90s who have three underlying conditions, and, you know, they say, well, it's another COVID death. Well, maybe, but, you know, things of that nature. When the CDC came out and admitted, yeah, well, we are combining the antibody test uh, tests with the active infection test, it, it seems that we're not necessarily at this point getting, uh, getting enough uh, valid information. I'm not going to point any fingers that it's intentional but it's frustrating that's for sure yeah well i mean the narrative from from the federal government from from the very beginning of this has been everything's under control nothing to see here it's uh it's something in other countries our numbers are low and then continuing to downplay the numbers as they grew instead of saying you know this is going to be really bad let's brace ourselves we're going to do our best here and we still, um, you know, uh, aren't really hearing that. And, and that makes it, uh, whenever someone doesn't want to embrace the numbers and has an incentive to, to downplay them, it's, it's a perverse system. And then uh, that's why we've had to uh, have sort of these makeshift uh, journalistic entities tracking uh, testing and, and positive cases like some of my colleagues are working on because the CDC was just uh, just not doing that. Right. And then in some cases like that Orlando case where the lab had been reporting 100 percent positives and then when it was looked into, it was 9 percent positives. That kind of thing just makes your head spin. Hmm. I, I don't know about that specific case, but uh, but, yeah, there is uh, a definite need for, you know, um, infectious diseases bring together uh, the world, really. They, they show how you need to really have central agencies in countries and, and, and throughout the world. They're able to consolidate data and track patterns. And when you leave it on local agencies and, and, and states, it's really hard to put together, uh, you know, and map out how it's yeah. spreading, where is this going, what is happening next. And, and that's why we as a country have had uh, sort of uh, really limited foresight. And it's very important, but it's not nearly as much fun as Clean, the new science of skin, or If Our Bodies Could Talk. They're just delightful books, as are your YouTube videos and your articles in The Atlantic. And James Hamlin, MD, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure.